0: All right, tonight we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, we have moved on to the ministry of Elisha, who replaced Elijah, who was called up in heaven to be at the Lord. We left off last week where Elisha asked for the double portion of the Spirit of God that was on Elijah to be on him, and it was confirmed that it was. So he got the upgrade, the greatest prophet of all time that we see in the Old Testament, was amazing. Elijah and Elisha said, I actually want a double of that. God gave it to him, and so now Elisha is beginning his ministry, and the Lord is so with him with his spirit, with his power. He's an incredible man of faith, and he's going to be a feature for us for at least a few more weeks as we go through 2 Kings. So as we come to chapter 4, we have an interesting situation where he comes into a financial, economic need of a desperate woman, and as events unfold, we get great insight that really, I think, ministered to a lot of people on planet Earth in November of 2022, so let's get into it. We pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So, verse 5, she went out from him shut the door behind her and her sons who bought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, you and your sons, live on the rest. It's a fascinating story, of course, where God supernaturally intervenes to help this woman in a desperate financial situation to not only find relief from her debt, but even to find financial foundation for going forward in her future. It's a great story. But let's think about the characters in this story. This story, it's very human. It's very raw and human when you think about it. So there's a woman who's a widow. She's essentially a pastor's wife. This woman had served the Lord. She said of her husband, you know that your servant feared the Lord. Her husband feared the Lord. Now, in our day and age, husbands in ministry, husbands in general, they can, they get a job. That's their main asset. Is your, your best asset is your monthly income. They can get insurance policies, especially these younger millennials and Zs and stuff. When they they go out and get a life insurance policy for like $40, $50 a month, get a quarter million, half million for the wife and for the kids. So there's security and safety for them. So they step into eternity for whatever reason that the, the widow, the wife left behind, has something to work with with the mortgage, to pay off debts and creditors, stuff like that. So we can relate to that. And by the way, that's good common sense, men. If you don't know that, you should know that. I literally asked my wife yesterday when something came up, I said, they do have life insurance, right? And she said, yes, they do. So that's a good thing. I have to tell you, in ministry, many times as a pastor, ministering to people where loved ones have moved on, I've been stunned and shocked to find where men... Who made anywhere from six to 10 grand a month did not have life insurance policies that would have cost 50 a month to make sure their wives and children were taken care of when they stepped into eternity. And they left them behind with debt and without financial assistance. And I've really been stunned because there's people that have done that that are really smart and common sense people that the body of Christ picked up the pieces and their wives are left hanging and their kids are left hanging. So just a quick exhortation we don't live in this time, we live in a better time. And I think for anyone listening to me in Jesus' name who's a man, If you have kids, you should have life insurance policy. If you're married, you should have a life insurance policy. And if you say, I don't have enough money, well, you have enough money for your homeowner's insurance or your renter's insurance or your car insurance, which you should definitely have, and you do that. It's just good common sense. As poor as I've ever been throughout ministry in different times, we always had to have a plan for my wife, for me to step into eternity and to provide for our kids. I've outlived one of my life insurance policies. I still have one of them, and it's going to go for a while, as does my wife. It's just good common sense. But this is a different time and a different place. So there was probably no opportunity for a life insurance policy to bail her out. I thought this thing, I thought, did she own this house? Because she has a roof over her head, right? Like, when you look at this passage, you should think about these things. So she has creditors, all right. She has a roof over her head. She has two sons. Smart people are a great asset. Bright ideas are considered by the richest people the best assets on planet earth all these tech companies that you know go high and low on the stock market that don't make anything they're really based upon ideas that people have and they buy the people and they buy the ideas and think those ideas might play out later on and of course we know even the king of Sodom when Abraham brought back the people of Sodom the the king said you can keep all the goods give me the people because he knew the people had the ingenuity to make things and the people had the ability to make things and there's wealth in people Abraham said, you can keep it all. I don't want you to say you made me anything. God makes Abraham everything he is. But in this case, there's two sons, young sons, and so they could, you know, they could do work. They could do all kinds of things. And so the creditor looks at them and sees assets, wealth, people, two human beings that can work for him to get his money back. But did the woman, like, did she own the property? Is she a renter or is she an owner? I don't know. The, the, the text doesn't make it clear. It all gets left behind anyways when you step into eternity. But she has what a lot of people have in 2022, creditors. (laughs) She had creditors. Her husband, between her husband and herself, they were left with debt. Now, there's debt that can come upon you, and a lot of the world has debt just because it comes upon them. In the body of Christ, in America, there's a lot of bad debt because people don't live within their means, and they presume God's going to give them something he hasn't promised tomorrow. And if you're Debt-to-income ratio shows that you step into eternity, you owe debt, and you leave debt behind in your name for other people. You want to fix that as soon as you can. That's not a good witness, to put your debt on someone else. One of the hardest things to watch in ministry is when people step into eternity, and there's no money to even bury them, and there's actually debt. There's already a grieving and sorrow and heartache, and now you have stress because there's a financial burden because it costs thousands of dollars to bury someone even under the cheapest circumstances. There's a difficult situation. The husband's dead. He served the Lord. He loved the Lord. She's like a pastor's wife. She's got two sons, and she's got debt. She cannot pay. So this is something I think we can all make, relate to. This is a very real situation in the human experience that we might relate to. I certainly can. I've seen this happen many times. So she's desperate. That's the point. It's a desperate situation. So she goes to the man of God, the prophet, Elisha, the, the lead pastor of all the pastors, if you will, and says, please help. In fact, it says she cried out to him, to Elisha. Now, in this story, in the first couple of verses, the first verse we see the woman who's a widow, her two sons, Elisha and the creditor. See that? These are the people involved right here. Creditor, the woman, the widow, Elisha, and the two sons. In this story, there are givers and takers, as there is in life. Everyone on planet Earth can—I said this Tuesday night, I'll say it again, I've been saying it a lot. We all fall into one of two categories. We're givers or we're takers. We either see opportunity to be used of the Lord to bless others and give and sow bountifully and reap bountifully for all eternity— or we're fearful that someone's going to take something from us, and so we take it from them, and we have to, we're insecure, and we have to hold on to this and grab that and take that. Givers and takers. We want to make sure we're givers. God's a giver because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God's, the, Jesus loves the church so much, he gave the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. God so loves the church, he gives gifts to all men to serve him, women and men to serve him in his church. God's a giver. The Father laid, the, the Son laid down His life for us. We're told that we love Him because He first loved us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is a giver. He made the universe. He gave us life. He has a call and a purpose on our lives. He's created us with, with divine design and purpose. He's redeemed us through the blood of His Son. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God. He gave us the, he gave us the double, double portion. He gave us forgiveness in His Son and the righteousness of His Son on the cross of Jesus Christ. God is a giver. And when someone says they've come to Christ, that work of the Spirit of God in their life should make them a giver. No matter how much you were a taker before you come to Christ, if you confess Jesus Christ and you're a taker, you should look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I truly saved? Because God is a giver. And we become like Christ. And we're being transformed daily through his word and by his spirit. And as that happens, we're going to forgive as we've been forgiven. We're going to show mercy as we've received mercy. We're going to be empathetic as the Lord has been empathetic with us. And we're going to trust in the Lord as one who provides for us so we don't have to fight and cheat and steal and connive and shuffle feet to keep what we have or to attain what we have. We can trust in the Lord Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see? So, this is a key thing. In this story, there's givers and takers. There's a creditor. Now, the creditor, this is in Israel. So, this is a man or a woman with wealth, a lot of wealth. Obviously, a debt collector. Now, if they just read the Ten Commandments, if they just read the, the Law of Moses, they would see this as an opportunity of a blessing. Because let me tell you something. If you want a blessing, I'm going to tell you where it is. Bless the widows of pastors. You want to be blessed? I'll tell you something. Two years ago, the Lord put in my heart to bless pastors' wives who were left behind without funds. We did. And in those two years, God's given us a million dollars, and almost a half million has gone into missions through this church. You want to be blessed? Bless those people who have given their lives of service to the Lord and have nothing on this day. When you bless those people, God will bless you. You can never outgive God, and he will bless you, WG, body of Christ. The man, the creditor, this is a great opportunity, a defining moment in his life to do the right thing and and be empathetic and have the heart of God, to have the heart of Jehovah, have the heart of the God who gave his law, the, the, the God who promised his son to come the God who blesses his people to be the head, not the tail. He had the opportunity to show mercy to the woman who is a pastor's wife, grieving the loss of her godly husband with two sons. He had the opportunity to bless her and release her of that debt. He had the opportunity to even relieve the debt and maybe help the kids, maybe disciple them and encourage them to be men that are productive and prosperous and show up for work on time with a good attitude and do the job and seal the fruit. This creditor could have been all that. But he wasn't a giver. He was a taker. Instead of being defined for us in the word of God as a man or a woman who was a giver in this key moment, no, in this moment they're a taker. A woman who's grieving the loss of her godly husband, raising two boys on her own now, now has to worry about the creditor in Israel coming to take her boys from her. What could be more low Than going after a widow's kids. What could be more sinister. More evil. And more diabolical. Than coming after the two sons. Of a woman whose husband has died. And a woman whose husband loved the Lord. And a woman whose husband together. Had served the Lord in a difficult time. Under the reign of Ahab and his sons. We're all going to be defined. Before the throne of God. By what kind of people we are. This creditor is defined as the one bad person in this story. I've said this many times about being getting stuff and suing people and doing things. You might win in the court of men, even the court of public opinion, and you might win in a court of law when you're going after certain things, but you might lose in eternity. When we can make everything that we are the Lord's, we're going to be a giver. And we're going to know that the Lord has our back. I don't like the creditor in verse 1. I don't like him at all. Because I've ministered to women in this situation. I've ministered to boys in this situation. I just did a memorial for a widow with two sons on Wednesday at Calvary Costa Mesa. I know this situation in real time. And some of you do too. But yet human beings are like this, so what are you gonna do? But God intervenes. And so there's this vessel of this jar of oil, like olive oil, something of that sort. There are neighbors with empty vessels as well. And the neighbors become the heroes in this story because the neighbors they give the woman what she needs. She couldn't do this on her own. This was a collective effort. She did not have the vessels she needed to be filled to relieve the debt and even get on firm financial st- uh, ground. She needed help. And of course, in the human experience, we're designed to be interrelated, relational, connective. The body of Christ the church is literally referred to as a body, Christ being our head. We understand that. We're tribal. The human experience is meant to be shared. We have vertical relationship with God, horizontal relationship with our spouses and our immediate family of our spouses and our children and the promises and blessings that go with that. We have our parents above us as we get older. We have our adult siblings beside us in many cases we get older. We have nieces and nephews and kids and grandchildren. And we have all this immediate and extended family. And in the body of Christ, we have our community. We have those leaders that God's put over us, the women that God has put over, the, the women and as they serve together and all the things that we do, the godly men and godly women in the body of Christ and the gifts that God gives us to build up this family. And this church family becomes, even in some ways, greater than the earthly family, although God has blessed the earthly family with his structure and his design. But the heavenly family brings us together. And here tonight, we become brothers and sisters in Christ under the head who is Christ. And we are joint heirs with Christ, adopted into his kingdom. And we're sharing the human experience. So we have this immediate family. Maybe we'll see for Thanksgiving that we share the journey with, with the Lord or without the Lord, Because you can choose your friends, but you don't choose your family. But then we have the the family of God, the body of Christ, where we're together and we're sharing this journey and we're going from glory to glory. And we're meant to be this way. And so there are many wonderful, benevolent things that human beings will do in the name of a sport, in the name of a community, in disaster relief and things like that, in the name of world religions, in the name of of, uh, even humanism, if you will. Human beings can be very empathetic and compassionate at times and do stuff for one another. But ultimately for us, what we do comes from Christ and is for Christ. And we have eternal reward and treasure in that when we do that as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we do in secret, the Father will indeed reward us openly. If not in time, certainly for all eternity. And of that we can be certain. And these neighbors, they... They provided these vessels that turned the tide in this whole story. The creditor comes to take. The neighbors opened their doors and gave. And that is noteworthy. And in the middle, we have the supernatural of God providing through Elisha for the woman and her sons with a happy ending. I have no title for this topic, this text tonight. I tried to think of a title. Get After It works, but I, I want to call every study to get after it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's like, that's what I go to. Like, hey, we'll call this study Get After It. Okay, so let's call it Get After It. All right, so this is Get After It. So think about this. All right, now, four things having covered the context and thinking about are we the creditors or maybe we're the, the widow and the kids in distress or maybe we're the neighbors. Let's get after it. So first thing we see, is the very beginning where the miracle happens and where the relief comes. It says in verse 2, she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And this is beautiful because this reminds us that the Lord always begins with who we are, where we are, and what we are and what we have. Isn't that wonderful to know? It truly is like those old malls of the 70s. When you're in the mall and you walk up, it's like you are here in a little thing. By Macy's, and you're trying to find Foot Locker, and it's, oh, it's over here. And you are here is where it always begins with the Lord. Those people that went forward at the Harvest Crusade last week, the moment they went forward and they stood there, if they were truly passing from death to life, giving their life to Christ, their world was one way before they went to the stadium. And when they walked away from that stadium, having been prayed for and encouraged and given tools to be fruitful and successful with the Lord, you are here. This is where it begins. The journey begins here. And when we think about the context of financial difficulties, it always begins here. I'm so glad the Lord doesn't leave us in the situations that we make for ourselves before Christ and even after Christ. Aren't you glad that the Lord is gracious and merciful and he delivers us and he meets us where we're at? But the key in this story is you do want to be all in. This woman... In crying out to Elijah, her life had been serving the Lord with her husband in a difficult time, under a difficult administration. And now she's got the grief of being a widow and the fear of her sons being taken from her. She's all in with the Lord. She's cried out to the man of God. She's all in. And her, her, her way forward from total economic despair begins with what she has right then and there. And this is the key for people rebuilding their lives from financial disaster or just getting out of a a rut financially, is that once what we have all belongs to the Lord, then the Lord can take ownership of it. And our God is a God of addition, subtraction, and multiplication. God adds, he subtracts, and he multiplies. But ultimately, all that he does in time, space, and matter with finances, and there's actually as much or more in the Bible on finances than salvation itself is the lessons to learn with the stewardship of these things through faith in Jesus, through the promises of God, not for the accumulation of things to get left behind, but for the preparation of the heart for where we're going. See, financial stewardship is so crucial in our lives because it is preparing us for eternity and what God wants to do with us in eternity. And if we can learn to be faithful with the finances in time and fruitful and bountiful then we'll be trusted with so much more in eternity. The parable of the Minas and many other stories teach us this in the Bible, that the stewardship that comes from being faithful with our finances is a stewardship that transcends dimension for what God wants to do in eternity. Now, it starts with where we're at and what we have. I have bought gas with pennies, late at night when no one's looking. Everyone at least once in their life should have to buy gas with pennies. You'll never forget what it's like to buy gas with pennies. You do it at night because you don't want other people standing behind you, you know, and you're counting pennies. And 100 pennies takes up a lot of space, right? So you do like 11 at night and you count pennies. Everyone should have to work a minimum wage job at least once in their life. I did at 34 the age of 34, it was the year I worked for $4 an hour, which was minimum wage uh, in, at the church and hotel there in Burlington, Vermont. Everyone should have to work with immigrants who don't speak English at least once in their life to appreciate what it's like to come from a land of no opportunity to a land of opportunity. I didn't like them at all that much that year in Vermont. They were Eastern European women, Slavic, with Slavic languages. And the reason I didn't like it is because they told me what to do. Because maid servants were slightly higher than room service in the Sheraton, and for Joy Brandon, where the whole world revolved around me being, you know, the Hall of Fame pro surfer, it was quite humbling to have these uh, Eastern Euro Slavic women tell me to pick up the coffee cup with the cigarette butts in it. I just didn't like it, but everyone should have to do something like that. We should know what it's like to be this woman. And Paul said, I've learned, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he learned that whether he had much or little, he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. And the beauty of buying gas with pennies and working for foreigners who speak different languages and motion to you what to do is, you learn to value and appreciate all humanity, all the blessings God has done, and all that he is doing in your life as opposed to what he's not doing in your life. You get the right perspective, you get the kingdom perspective, and you learn to treat humanity the way it should be treated, with dignity and respect. And you learn to love humanity the way God sees them, with the sacrifice of a Savior. Financial hardship is difficult. It says in Proverbs, this, the rich and the poor have in common the Lord made them both. Financial hardship can be self-induced with sheer folly and lack of discipline. Financial hardship can come because of theft, like what happened to Job, And financial hardship can just come because it rains on the just and the unjust and good things happen to good and bad people and bad things happen to good and bad people. Things can just happen. What if you owned a home in Fort Myers, huh? And two months ago, it just got obliterated. And that's that. And they're still trying to rebuild the causeways to the island. Like, things just happen. You know, we own property in Vero Beach. Vero Beach got hit with a hurricane last week. It'll test you. It'll test you when hurricane's coming right to where your wealth is at. I can tell you, I failed a lot of tests, but I didn't fail that one. I didn't even worry about it. I was, we had a new grandson. Dune was born on Monday, and Hurricane Natalie, I already forgot her name, she hit on Wednesday. Went right underneath everything. Hey, if you lose everything, it was the Lord's in the first place. He can replace it. If he doesn't want to, that's his business. It's that simple. I tell people we have a good plan for time and if it all gets obliterated, we had a good plan. Yeah, like, we had a good plan and we have, we have a generous heart and that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. It always begins with where we're at. It begins with the jar of oil you have in the house. See, if the jar of oil in the house, the, do- the coin in the piggy bank, the money in the bank, the job you have, if that's truly the Lord's, then you're in a place where he can bless you. And if what you lose is lost, it's, it's the Lord's loss. Someone, someone gave us a car one time. Actually, a lot of people give us cars, and we give them away. It's really fun. You ask for cars, you give them, then you give them away. It's a great thing. But the first car that we had Someone tried to steal it, and that's where I almost got stabbed, but that's a different story. But then we gave it to a woman in the drug and alcohol ministry who needed a car, single mom, couple kids. Well, then a drunk driver totaled the car in Vista in the middle of the night, totaled it. It was a wash. And that car was the Lord's. I remember just going, like, Lord, someone totaled your car. That's very liberating. My car! Lord, someone totaled your car. I'll be... Well, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, so he owns every car dealership. And if someone down there, at, you know, Hohen Motors wants to give me a new car, then they'll call me up and give me a new car. You say, oh, Joy, that's impossible. No, it's not. Because, you know, I've had people call me up to give me money, lots of it. God can do what he wants to do. But he's got to own who you are. See, if he owns your heart, he owns your jar your, your of oil. And if he owns your jar of oil, he definitely owns your heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And store up treasures in heaven. So if we got one jar of oil in the house, we want to make sure it belongs to Jesus and it's stored in heaven. Amen? Amen? It always begins with what we have. God adds, he subtracts, and he can multiply. But it always begins. Financial stability begins with what we have and that it belongs to the Lord. Like the boy with the fish and the loaves, he can multiply it. Then we see second of all from the starting point. So if you're in financial hardship and you listen to this message either through K-Wave or podcast or whatever, all in with the Lord. Don't make him one-tenth of your life. Make him all of your life and give him a tenth and show him you can live within your means and save 10% of what you're earning every month as well. See, the person listen, before we move on to this first point, I've learned this: The person that can save money every month will save money next month. If you can save money this month, no matter what the circumstances, you will save money next month. But if you do not save money this month, you will not save money next month, which means you'll just keep living paycheck to paycheck. So if you can tithe, honor the Lord first and save. You will be blessed, and you will become more the head, not the tail, and you'll be part of the solutions instead of the problems, and you won't need to depend upon government to take care of you. The Lord would have us to be the head, not the tail, spiritually. I'm talking spiritual. F- economic is just the results of spiritual for the kingdom. See, these guys make $140 billion and they lose $80 billion in one week because their stock went down. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about you and me being dependent upon the living God and being faithful stewards with what he gives us. And if we're faithful of little things, he'll give us more things. Follow the money trouble. There's Two things you can always learn about people. How they spend their money, so look at your checking account, and how they spend their time. Because we will find money to reflect what we really are living for, and we will make time for what we really want to do. Those are two things I've learned in the human experience. Now, the second thing here, it starts where we're at, but we need to see the promise in the things. We need faith. So there's a beginning of God really taking hold of our economics and getting us out of things and taking us forward. But we need to have faith, and we see that the, we, in verse 4 it says, so Elisha says, do not gather just a few. So that means go get a bunch. We'll come back to that. But when you come in, or once you've gathered, you'll shut the door behind you. He's given he's him steps. He's given her and her son steps of what to expect. So he's telling him what the next thing is to go forward, and then the next thing and the next thing. So he's actually playing out a plan of action. Here's a plan of action to get you out of your financial situation. You're going to get as many vessels as you can. You're going to bring them back here. You're going to close the door. Then you take your one vessel that has oil in it, and you start filling these vessels. And the ones that are full, you set aside. Oh, wait. That's a promise. He is speaking the promise to her before it's seen, just like the promise of Christ to raise us from the grave when we step into eternity, that this mortal put on immortality. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, and this is a promise you need to see closely. He is speaking to her what will be and what is promised when it has not yet come. And what is faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen but without faith it's impossible to please God because those who come to him like the widow must believe that he is and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him see he gave her a visual he gave her a visual of many full vessels before she'd even gathered any vessels he gave her a visual that her one vessel of oil would make many vessels of oil Behind that closed door. He gave her the visual. And the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Is non-stop visuals of promises to you and me. For our salvation. Our eternal destiny. Our hope. our The purposes. His work in our life. The purposes of our life. Our calling. It's all there. And it it's all promised to us. This is a promise from the man of God to her. That before she ever sent her boys out to the neighbor's house. Before she ever began the the process of moving in direction, it was promised to her a visual of what would happen if she believed, which reminds us in all these promises of God in our life. And again, the context is economics. So I'm sticking to economics because that is the context of the text, right? We see that clearly, but this certainly applies as a whole to all the Bible promises, to our health, to our life, and these things that we face in the human experience, including the last day of the Lord. We need to see the promises fulfilled. When I think about stepping into eternity, I don't think about so much breathing my last, but going to glory. Do you? When you think about breathing your last, do you think like, oh no, what I'm leaving behind? I think about what I'm going to, who I'm going to, the glory. I, when I think about my, my last day on earth, I think about this mortal putting on immortality, this corruptible putting on incorruptibility, this terrestrial putting on celestial. I see glory. I think about the 24 elders and the crowns being thrown before Jesus in Revelation 5. I think about endless praise in a whole nother dimension that there's nothing to compare to it because I has not seen ear heard. But it is promised to me and you. I'm very excited for my last day on planet Earth because I'll be the first day in the next dimension in glory with Jesus Christ. Or as Pastor Chuck would say, don't you dare bring me back. I don't need you to bring me back. I'll say like Paul said to the Philippians, it's good for you if I stay, but it's better for me if I go. All these promises, this book is a book of promises from the God of the universe who made trillions of galaxies and knows every cell of the 70 trillion cells in your body that comes from the first cell at the point of conception. There's no accident or mistakes. The deaf, the dumb, the blind, the lame, he's made them all. And we're all for his glory in Jesus' name. And we need to believe his promises. We need to know his promises and apprehend his promises. And in this context, financially, God is for us not being in debt, particularly in America, because not only should we not be in debt, we should be sowing bountifully for those who don't have the same opportunities we have as U.S. citizens. We need to have faith. I love how he gave her the visual. When those boys went out not having one vessel, she had she could have a picture in her mind of full vessels and what she was going to do with those full vessels with the one vessel of oil she had. This is something we should be thinking about later on. When you go home and you go over your notes or you think about this message, you think about this because I didn't touch this on Tuesday night. Elisha gave her a visual of full vessels and where to put them and what to do with them when she didn't even have one of them in her house yet. That's faith. And that's how it is, the glory in eternity. And that's why I rejoice for the day of the Lord. We need to see the promises. We need to believe the promises We need to speak the promises. We need to be the promise. We need to be the promise on display. People need to see us as in Jesus' name in 2022. If we're not standing for the promises of God, who's gonna? In a world of such despair and despondency, if the believers that claim Christ as our Lord and Savior, that have all the promises and the hope of heaven, if we're not standing and being the promises of God, who's gonna? There's so much negative deception in the world. We need to leave. We, need, we all, believers in planet Earth, just need to be shining for the Lord now more than ever and reflecting a believing faith for all the promises of God for time and eternity. And I do say speak the promises, not because people have bad doctrine that misinterprets this, but because out of the abundance of a heart does a woman speak or a man speak. And if your heart is filled with the promises of God, you're going to speak the promises of God. That's how we're told in 2 Corinthians to take thought captive, every thought captive that aligned itself against Christ and opposes Christ. So if we're speaking the promises of God and we're speaking the person of Christ, the position of Christ, the finished work of Christ, if these are the things coming out of our heart and these are the things in our mind, then then we're bringing life and edification everywhere we go. See, when my heart, when I say something that I shouldn't have said, I like to catch it. I said something to my wife the other night, not... I was telling her a story about something that happened, and my perspective on the story, I just thought, wow, that was, Lord, I, I don't like how that sounded, you know? Like, I just, I don't like how I, I saw those people in that situation. See, it was my heart being reflected. I said these things about these people, these general people down at the beach in Huntington. They were being rude and inconsiderate. There was no doubt about that. Anyone's, anyone's standard, they were rude and inconsiderate. But I, I, I made it more than that when I spoke with my wife. I thought, no, Jesus died on the cross for everybody. And, and, I, and I need to, I need to like not think like this toward anybody. Because he died for these people. And I just can't be so thin-skinned that I'm offended because they act like this in public and rude toward everyone around them. See, the heart is revealed in our words. And since we'll give an account for all of our words, it's really important to pay attention to our heart. When we speak on people's lives and we speak into people's lives, we want to speak love, grace, truth, mercy, life, promises. Amen? Amen. Don't you want to be what you speak? Because there's plenty of people speaking falsehood, lies, deception, discouragement, debasery, debauchery. Let's speak life and holiness and purity in the kingdom. And when you speak those promises, you're just consistently keeping your mind focused on who's made those promises and them coming to pass for time and eternity. I think it's really important that we know the promises of God's word, that we believe that we receive them, we believe them. I think most believers have no concept of how great the promises are for their life. I believe we're pretty good at it, but I want to get better. I want to believe God for great things. I don't want to be small-minded with the God of the universe who gave his son to die on the cross for me and you. I want to be the promise. I want to be the promises of God on display. I want to be the proof of sanctification and salvation by grace. I want to be the proof that God's mercy is real because I can show his mercy. I want to be the proof that forgiveness happens because I've been forgiven and I'm not the same person I was that people remember me from when I was younger or even two years ago. I want to be proof to you that we're under construction so when you compare me now to two years ago you say, hey, Joey's grown in the Lord. And you can be the same thing. So it's the beginning of where we're at. God meets us there, and it's faith going forward. And then really the story has action, which is why I say get your hustle on. Because in this in this incredible story of the supernatural, there was the beginning of like just this is what you got. You got one vessel of oil. Okay, that's where we start. But then there's this promise like Picture these full vessels in your house because that's what you're going to do when you get them. But then there's a responsibility because it says in verse 5, so she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. They had to go out and get the vessels. And notice when the vessels were, poured, when the vessels were filled, look at this verse. Verse 6, I think it is, yes. She said uh, to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. body of Christ WG to the exact extent that they went and got vessels is the exact amount of vessels that were filled what they put in is what they got this is the universal law of sowing and reaping I say this now more than ever the number one law in the universe physically is gravity the number one law in the universe spiritually is sowing and reaping so I'm going to give you a couple thoughts about sowing and reaping to wrap up tonight Haman, for evil, Haman built the noose 100 feet tall to hang Mordecai on it. Remember the story in the book of Esther? But in fact, the tables were turned and Haman was hung on the very gallows he built for Mordecai. He sowed, he reaped. In the measure he used, it was used for him. It was perfect justice. In the book of Judges, there's the king that they caught in the first chapter and they cut off his thumbs and his toes. And he said, this is a perfect justice because 70 kings whose thumbs and toes I had cut off used to sit at my table begging for food. It was perfect justice that his thumbs and toes were cut off. And he himself confessed it. I believe in eternity with the perfect justice of Jesus Christ, everyone will say yes and amen to that justice. Eternity will be for me and for you exactly what we sowed in time. That's why... people who don't want want Jesus in this life, it would be hell for them to be with Jesus in eternity. They sowed Antichrist. So for eternity, they get Antichrist. They built their own private dark hell, and that's what they get for all eternity. But we chose the Savior. We choose the Savior, and we choose light and life and the life of men. So we get to go to light and life and the light of men. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6, In the measure you judge, it will be judged of you. Judge not, lest you be judged. Condemn not lest you be condemned. In the measure you give, it will be given. In Galatians 6, it says, do not be deceived for a man or a woman. For whatever we sow, we shall reap. Whatever we sow, we shall reap. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we will reap life. So let's sow life. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the one to the merciful, they will obtain mercy. It's how it works. And of course, economically, because that's all spiritual and practical in the human experience, economically we're told there in 2 Corinthians that if we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. If we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. So when we think about personal finances, your number one equity is your monthly income. That's your number one asset. And to live within that income, and it's been hard, by the way, I have to admit. Five items at Albertsons for 55 bucks the other night. I couldn't believe it. I didn't even need a bag. Five items, 55 bucks. We get it. We all get it. So we either have to slightly alter our living standard less than what we're used to, or generate more revenue. But obviously... My dollar, your dollar, doesn't not go as far as it does this year at this time as it did last year. Yes and amen. That's just a fact. We know that. Hey, that honey was $10. Now it's 15 at Albertsons. Those capsules at Coffee Bean, they were $6. Now they're 10 That's 40% inflation. Okay? But we have to find a way. FAW. Find a way. It's one of my abbreviations I use these days. Hey, no excuses. F A W. Find a way. Proverbs says a wise man scales the city wall and takes it. Find a way. So we have to find a way. The dollar doesn't go as far. So if you can't get a side hustle to generate more revenue, we have to do some things because we, we are meant to be the head, not the tail, and givers, not takers. That's how it's meant to be. And I want to so bountifully. So if I can, if I can appreciate my income. By the way, I wrote down recently 13 things I love about my job. Number one was I work for the Lord. which is being a pastor, right? But really, even if you're a ditch digger, you still work for the Lord, ultimately. But in there, I was like, I'm grateful for my income. I'm grateful for my job. It's good to have that perspective. And so I need to live within those means. So this is my income. I I said, you know, 10% to the Lord. We're saving and we're sowing beyond even what we're saving. So it's like that like, It's all possible. Shaquille O'Neal said you can live on 50% of what you make. And he's a multi-multi-millionaire. One of the smartest business people you know is Shaquille O'Neal. He gets a piece of paper, cuts it in pieces, like, you can live on that. Go home and figure it out. Find a way. So we want to sow. We want to sow. We want to sow the character of Christ in our life by spending time in his word and being before the Lord and walking in humility. We want to sow the fingerprints of Christ in the world around us by how we treat other people, how we act, how we react, how we respond. We want to sow love, grace, mercy, compassion, empathy. When they knock on the door for vessels, we want to give them vessels because we want to bless them and see them blessed and brought out of their certain situation that they're in. We're not the creditor. Well, we can take. We're like, we're the neighbors with the vessels. Here, let me get some more. Hey, honey, let's get some more vessels for the neighbor. Hey, because we love the widow and we care about the widow and we care about our sons. And what's being a human being if you don't help your neighbor in need? That's what Christ came to do. That's who we are. We're the church. We've changed the world for 2,000 years. Not the Darwinist, not the Marxist, not the communist. We're givers, not takers. And we do so because we choose to, not because we have to. Because that's Christ and that's the hope of glory. So we sow bountifully. And in so doing, we we get our vessels, we get those vessels, and what we put in, we get back. And once you step in eternity, you can't come down and re-sow again. This is it. How you sow in November 2022 is who you are and where you are, and that's going to be eternity tomorrow. So if you don't like how your reaping is going to look on the day of the Lord, then we need to change our sowing and change our thinking. And have greater faith and bigger faith and not be small-minded, but be big-minded with the God of the universe is calling our life and what we can do as a legacy for the human experience in Jesus' name. Get those vessels, go big, fill them up, make it work, make it happen, and do something great. Lose our life, give our life, sow our life. And we will never... We're blessed. God wants to bless His people. And the greatest blessing is to make us like Christ for time and eternity. That's what happens when we go all in with one jar of oil and all that we are. We let go all the hurt and the pain. We sow every good thing that Christ would have us sow from our mind's thoughts, from our heart's disposition, and from our word's declaration, our mouth's declaration. And by the way, I close with this. Did you notice last week was a double portion, right? It was a double portion, Elijah asked for a double portion. Do you realize this woman got the double portion? Not only did she get the money she needed to get the credit off her back, she got the money she needed to live for tomorrow. Did you catch that? She got the double portion. Her debt, she got, Elisha said, pay the creditors with this and now live off the extra. Our God's a blessing God it's never about the money it's always about the heart and where it's looking and where it's going so be reminded from this story that God knows our situation be the be the hero in this story not the villain because there's a villain and there's heroes be the woman of faith how about the boys getting their hustle on hey do you want to work for the creditor and be a slave or do you want to work for the Lord they ran they ran through the neighborhood knock on every door they could vessels vessels like hey the motivation was high This is a great story with great principles and lessons. Keep the Lord first in all things. And if we've made a a mistake and a mess of finances, just take it to the Lord. Hand him your one jar of oil and say, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go forward. Let's get our hustle on. Show us what to do. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to sow bountifully. We're going to believe largely. And we know that you got this whole universe in control. And we want our life to be fulfilled in you. We want to fulfill your calling on our life. We want to change the world for good. The solution, not the problem. And we want to go to glory. So let's go. Here's our jar of oil in Jesus' name.